He's good. Amen. If you didn't know that, he's good. He's good. He loves you. Man, if you didn't receive any other information today to know the God of heaven who knows everything and knows you, loves you. Amen? Not based on what we do, but based on what he's done. Amen. He's just that good. He loves us just that much that he would pour himself out on those who could do nothing in and of themselves to receive it except uh, believe him. That's good news. That's really good news. You know, over the uh, past few weeks, we've been talking about community and uh, just the importance and of doing community, and you know, I, I may have shared this last week, but I can't remember, uh, so I'll say it again. It's just like when you get, uh, you know, when you get in your mind that you're going to get a certain vehicle. Yeah, I mean, how many has ever happened to you? You decide you're going to get a certain vehicle, and then you're riding down the road, and everywhere you turn, what do you see? You see that vehicle, and that, you know, you think the day before, that vehicle wasn't there. You and, that, and then you, now that you're paying attention to it, you see it every day because they're going to work one way and you're going the other way. But before it was brought to your attention, you, it wasn't there in your mind. Are you with me? It wasn't there. And I believe that's the goodness of the Lord that he allows us that when he'll bring something to our attention, that he just, he'll just give us snapshots of it everywhere that we turn. And he's begin, that, he's begin to do that because in me, in community, uh, he showed me that in, in Genesis, as I, sh- I shared the other week, that there was community. And, and the word, again, community can throw us, but the, the New Testament Greek word is koinonia, which means fellowship, which means communion, which means community, which means partnership. Okay? So that's what it means. So here's what's so cool. In the New uh, Testament, when it talks about that, it's always talking about partnership. So... Um, we see in Genesis partnership. I know that's Old Testament, but we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working together. In John, it says everything that was made was made by him, speaking of Jesus, right? In Genesis 1, it says that God said in the Spirit of God moved and it happened. Are you with me? I'm just tracking. They worked in partnership together. And the Lord just began, even there, Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, he began to just speak to my heart the importance of community and why we see such a uh, frail, weak church is because it's a fragmented body. It's a fragmented body. It's something that was created to be a living organism functioning together. And what it does is it's been functioning apart. It's been totally separated from one another. You know, we talk about, and I've talked about before, how community, and I watched it this week. Like I said, it's so amazing how the Lord will highlight things to you. But, but we have a new neighbor in front of us, and no fault to them because I haven't gone over and knocked on their door yet, okay? I'm just giving an observation, not a judgment. Are you with me? So I was out the other day in the front yard. I had pulled in my garage doors up. I was out in the front yard and I saw them coming up the road, so I intentionally stayed out in the yard a little longer. You know, they pulled in. They didn't look at me. They pulled up in their garage, hit the button, pulled up in the garage. The garage door goes up, 
And then as they get in, they put their brakes on, you know, and they put it in park, and they hit the button, and the garage door comes down before they ever got out of the car. And I'm standing there in the driveway. You know what I felt like? I felt like that little kid on the playground who wanted to play with somebody, and everybody just ran away, and it was like, well, dang, I just wanted to say, hey. (laughs) You know, but I see the same thing in the church. Friday night, we had School of the Spirit. I'm just so thankful for what the Lord is doing there. You know, you think School of the Spirit, man, it's going to be wild. People are going to be running, screaming, and, and it was nothing like that. Because I refuse to put him in a charismatic box. Is he charismatic in the fact that there's demonstration of who he is? Absolutely. You look at the life of Jesus and you see it. But is that all that he is? Absolutely not. So we came in. And I had in my heart that we were going to just fellowship some together. We were just going to fellowship some. And didn't tell anybody. Mel even threatened to fire me. <laughs> so we came in. She did fire me, didn't she? <laughs> we came in and people were just talking. It was so cool. People were really taking time to see one another and talk to one another. And uh, Mel said it was about five after seven, I think. Ten after, ten after, ten after seven, and she was sitting by herself in the sound booth. <laughs> She's the only one who wasn't fellowship. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Joking, joking, joking. And she said, well, are we going to start? I said, we have. Look around. I said, look around. And people were talking. Some people talking to people they don't normally talk to, but they were just talking. They were doing life together. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. That's powerful. Now, it was, there wasn't this huge roar or anything that came through the building, but it was people, real people doing real life and taking time to notice somebody else was in the room other than them, who weren't hurried to do a thing, who were willing just to do life. This morning, we started late. <gasps> it was intentional because I saw people. I, I, start, I didn't come up here till it got quiet out there. I don't know if you noticed, but I did. I didn't come up here. I, normally, I come up then. No, that's not true either. I come up, sometimes you still don't quiet down. <laughs> so I just watched. And I'm thinking, Lord, it's infantile, but it's the beginning of people who can step outside of what is familiar and receive what he has for them. This morning, I was here, and uh, I got a text from Tish. Tisha had surgery last Wednesday and um, did really well. She was uh, going to come today. She had a ruptured disc, and uh, she did really well with it, was going to come today, but Clint wouldn't let her. He said, you go, people be hugging you and, and all over you. And he said, no, we're just going to give it a little more time. But we thank the Lord for that, that she had a great, uh, great procedure. She's doing really well. The pain is gone. We thank God for that. But she sent me a text this morning. She said, I was just praying for the service. And she said, uh, I felt like the Lord spoke this to my heart, that as we began to press into him, it's like manna. The, word, the reason they gave the name manna, do you know what manna means? Good, Steve. Come on, baby boy. Bam. She sent you the text too. <laughs> oh. It's what is it? It was, 
She's calming him down like a kid. Shh, we're in church. Shh. It's all right, man. It's what is it? And, and well, instead of me butchering it, I have technology. She said, Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread that comes down from heaven, John 6. When the Israelites first saw manna in the desert, they asked, what is it? When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given to eat, Exodus 16, 15. They didn't know what the bread was, which is why they called it manna. And she said, right? <laughs> exactly. You're right, Tish. Manna means what is it? Do you think people ask the same question when the bread of heaven falls? What is it? People don't always understand what God is doing, and it's okay. So today, when manna falls, that which can't be explained, understood, or can be offensive to some, it's okay. It's today's manna. Ah, that's preaching hard right there. And you know what? They could have re rejected it because they didn't know what it was. And you know what would happen? They would have died. And they would have been like many in religious circles today. They would have got to heaven, offended at God, and said, God, why didn't you help us? We, we were trying to follow you. Although they were murmuring and complaining and all that, they would still be, why didn't you help us? He said, I gave you manna, but I didn't know what it was, so I wasn't touching it. He said, exactly, because you had more faith in your sense realm and your understanding than you did in my provision. I guess what I'm saying is when Jesus comes, people still ask, what is it? They always have. We want Jesus to show up. We want to taste the Lord and see he is good but we don't always understand what we see and become scared to taste. Man, he's good. I, I, it's so cool. I, I was sharing uh, Friday night, Ben and Steve and I, we were standing over here talking. And I said, Ben made an indelible impression on me when I first met him in California. We had... Uh, Oh, you had been to the church before then, hadn't you? You had already spoken at the river. Our, he was our first official speaker. Woo, woo. But I went out to uh, the leader, a leadership advance at Bethel Church, and we were out there, and we were in worship, and Ben was sitting beside me, and Ben just sat down, and uh, I need you to let me have that for a minute. Thank you. Just so everybody can see me. I'm all about object lessons. Ben sat down beside me like this. We in worship. He sat down like this. He said, Jesus, you're delicious. Yeah, you're delicious. And I was like, what did he say? <laughs> I'm standing in worship, and he's sitting beside me like this. He's, Jesus, you're delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Lord. And he's just there. He's in his place. You know, he doesn't have his eyes open. Just sitting there. Jesus, you're delicious. And that ministered to me. But you know what? At the time, it was manna. 
I was like, what is it? What is that? And I didn't ask him, man, what are you doing? Because you know what? It bore witness with my spirit. And you know what I did? After a minute of looking, I said, yeah, you're delicious. <laughs> I didn't know exactly what it meant, you know? And he said Friday night. He said, yeah, the Bible says what Tish said. Ben said that Friday night standing right there, didn't communicate with Tish, and I didn't communicate that with Tish. And then this morning, Tish says, oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. And that was what he said. He said, yeah, the Bible says taste and see the Lord is good. He said, I did, and he's delicious. I was like, man, that's good. That's really good. But you know what? I could have been religious and offended and said, well, that's just irreverent. To call Jesus, the Son of God, delicious. You're not hearing me. There you are. You're just trying to process it. <laughs> And that's okay, too, because I did. I just looked at him and I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> but he is. And if he's not to you, it's because you've tasted something called religion and labeled it Jesus. He's that sweet savor. But we have to be willing to taste, even when it doesn't look like something that's familiar to us. He's good, right? And, and as I've said before, he's more capable of leading us than the devil is in deceiving us as we walk in relationship with him. And that's the importance of community. That's the importance of saying, Jesus, I want you. Even when I don't understand what it looks like, I want you. And I want to do life not separated by myself, just trying to figure this all out in my mind. No, Jesus, I want to do life with those who are going the same way. And see, that's the difference in, in conformity and unity. The church has sold a, a false bill of goods and called it unity. And really what it is is conformity. It means everybody theologically has to be exactly like me. Everybody uh, in their appearance has to be exactly like me because if not, then they're a threat to me. That's old covenant. That's exactly anti-Christ because Christ went in and when he touched the leper, he didn't get leprosy. The lepros, the leprous got healed. He changed. It all changed with Jesus. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. I need to lay a little more foundation. So we see Jesus being very, he wasn't rebellious for the sake of just trying to make people upset. But he was very cross-culture because he understood that what he was bringing was relationship, not right, religious right and form. Are you with me? And that was why we see him challenge many of the traditions of the day, not just to be uh, confrontational, but to show them the difference in just believing in a system to get you in relationship and versus living in relationship with him. Everybody with me still? And he did that in the context of community. Right? He did that with 12, not because that's all he could handle. And as I said last week or the week before, I don't remember exactly which one it was, there wasn't just 12 people that followed Jesus around because when you look in Acts uh, 1 and 2, we see that when they appointed Matthias, that it said that there were, uh, these were two, of, two men who had been with him from the beginning. 
So th- this was just two. We know in the upper room there wasn't 12. There were 120. Right? So there were those that had been with him from the beginning, but he took 12 and he did life with those 12. He did community with those 12. And he never got to the place where he just threw his hand up and said, I'm done with you. But it's so easy to do that in this life. It's so easy when someone, just like I said, someone, you just defriend them. I don't like what you said. I'll hide you. Don't want to see what you got to say anymore. I'll not answer your phone calls. I'll not answer your text. I'll just act like you don't live anymore because I don't like what you said. That's not what Jesus did. I mean, I, Mark 16. We see through the Gospels, there's a couple of times that it says that Jesus upbraided them. That's a King James word for he rebuked them. <laughs> he dealt with the problem. And, and the reason that he did is because of their hardness of heart. Their hardness of heart. And here in Mark chapter 16, uh, it says, right before it talks about him confirming signs and wonders in them, it says that he showed up to them. Let me just read it to you. So you won't be sitting in the seat going, what is it? That's a joke. Uh-huh. Verse 14, Mark 16, 14. Later he appeared to the 11. Remember, it's just 11 now. We're not in Acts yet. They hadn't, they hadn't appointed another one. There's just 11. He said he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Why? Because they were functioning in the natural, not in the promise. Right? Because, what did it say? It says, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he was risen. What did Jesus tell them? He said, I'm going to be crucified. After three days, I'll rise again. John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Right? He set them up. He, he gave them the information. Don't let your heart be troubled. But you need to understand, they're gonna, I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day, I'll rise again. He's resurrected. Some of them see him, and they go, yeah, right, whatever. And I, I know this crowd never does that. that. You know, you've been believing God for something, and somebody else gets what you've been believing God for. <laughs> you're not the crowd that goes, yeah, sure they did. Or you're not the crowd that goes, well, why'd you do it for them and not for me? Because that's not where your heart is, right? Not at all. The 11 could have been saying, yeah, if he really came back, he would have shown himself to us. We're his favorite. He said he, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he was risen. You know what's so good about the Lord? And this is where I believe the Lord, if there's a rebuke, it's not going to come as a prophetic word, somebody embarrassing you in the church. It's going to come privately because isn't it funny that in here it, the, the rebuke is not recorded it says he rebuked them for their unbelief heart. it didn't say I, he didn't just say i rebuke you for your unbelief and hardness of heart 
He ministered to them. But what is recorded is the next thing that says this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 20. And they, you know who that they is? That's who he was just speaking to. And they went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying, accompanying signs, amen. So it said, Jesus dealt with their reasoning, their unbelief, and their hardness of heart. And then he said, all right, we've dealt with that, now go. And as they went, what happened? They had to wait a certain amount of time, and they had to repent so many days so that they could get right with God. Nope, they went out. And he said, and Jesus confirmed. The Father confirmed the word with accompanying signs. That's good. That's really good. But they went out and did what he had said they were going to do. But he lived life. See, he had the right and the opportunity to speak into them so that change could come. And that's what I believe he wants today. He wants to write in the opportunity to speak into our lives so that change can come. And I'm a believer. The more that I've studied it, the more that I see that a a key way that he does that is in community. A key way that he does that is through us doing life with those that we trust and that love us and that we love so that we can walk in life together, that we can be encouraged and strengthened and, yes, sometimes corrected. I don't believe that it's supposed to come from here. I'm not, I don't believe I'm the one who's supposed to whip everybody on Sunday mornings. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> it doesn't mean that correction can't come from here. But what it does mean is this. As we do life together, because I've seen, I'm going to tell you what I know firsthand. Just because people come to this church doesn't mean that I'm their pastor and I have a right to speak into their life. I don't care if they were here the first time we met until they go home to be with Jesus. They have to be in community, in trust, in fellowship with me, which opens the door for me to have the right to speak into them. It's not by what title they give me. It's by the influence that I have in their lives through trust. There have been people who came in, they called me pastor. You know, I've never said, I'm Pastor Todd, and this is Pastor Tina. That's how I would appreciate you addressing me. Anything irreverent, a bear is going to come out of the woods and eat you. They did it to Elisha. They were mocking him, and the bear came out and eat up the kids. I'm just saying. I haven't done that. I'm not about that. I believe that. I believe it's a, a position and a gifting of the Lord that should be respected. Not because that's what I do, but it, because that's what we see from the scriptures from the Word of God, that it should be. But what I am saying is just because you use that title doesn't mean that you allow them to speak into your life and influence you. Are you with me? I've had, many, I've had people here who called me pastor, said all the right things, and when I had opportunity to sit down and share with them something that I saw, something I felt like the Lord was saying, they just nodded their heads and left. At Stephen's term, they just threw up deuces. They said, okay, I disagree, and I'm gone. 
Well, that's not, and you know why it's so easy to do that? Because we don't have community. Are you with me? Because, and, and it's not just with me, but with one another. And I was reading in Ephesians chapter 4. I mentioned this over a month ago about Ephesians chapter 4. I mentioned about Corinthians where it talks about the body and us doing life together and things like that. But as I've been, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about uh, this if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Then again, it drops down in 27 through 31. That whole passage there deals with it. Isn't it cool that... God and his goodness in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I know he didn't write it, you know, Paul didn't write it in chapter and verse, but in the first, in 12, he deals with doing life as a body in community. Then in 13, he talks about love, right? Then in 14, he talks about the gifts and them being in operation among you. So he said, I want you to understand first that you're a body and you need each other. The way that's going to work is love. And as you walk in love, this is what the manifested fruit of that love looks like on the earth. Man, that's good. That's good news right there for his heart for us. So we looked last week some at Philippians, and uh, I want to I give you the definition again of uh, fellowship, of communion, community. It's koinonias, the Greek word uh, Koinonia in Strong's Concordance is the New Testament, 2842 is the number. And it literally means partnership, participation, social intercourse, which means intimacy, pecuniary benefaction, that means that there's reward to it. Under Thayer's definition, it means this, fellowship, association, community, communion, Joint participation. Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. A unified body of individuals. Uh, Unity. A unified body. I said a moment ago that unity has been sold as conformity, and that's not what it is. I mean, you look at the 12. I mean, when the Lord really started giving me downloads about the difference in conformity and unity, he said, look at the 12. I didn't ask Peter to become a tax collector, and I didn't ask Matthew to become a fisherman. What I said is each of you bring a different perspective. I mean, you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three men. They, there's different stories and different ones. There's different perspectives from each one, but they all saw the same thing. Look at John. He said, I suppose if everything that the, Jesus both said and did were written down, the world itself couldn't contain the volumes. I had a professor in Bible college say that the reason that we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they, they can have one story but different perspectives, he said it's because it's like they were climbing a mountain, but they were all climbing from a different side, but it was the same mountain. That's unity. Conformity says, nope, the line starts here, and if you're not in this line, then you're not doing it right. Because we're going to walk this way. We're going to talk this way. We're going to dress this way. We're going to act this way. Here's how we act in public. Here's how we act in private. Here's how we act in church. And if you step out, you will be disciplined. Because your unconformity, if that's a word, inconformity, can affect the rest of the group. And we can't risk it. But unity says... And Jesus loves Josh and his personality 
And I understand that Josh brings a, an aspect of God's glory that I don't because he's just as, as unique as his thumbprint is. So he's going to bring something that I don't have. So as we go together up that mountain to the same place, every one of us looks a little different. The 12 all look different. And as they came together, I believe that the unbelievers it just looked and they go, how in the world can a fisherman who makes his living dirty, nasty, makes his living walk with a man who just robs people? And that's what the tax collectors did. You know what it is? It's a portrait of his beauty, not theirs, of his beauty. That God can take us in our humanity and our personalities and, and we can work together to see him get glory in the earth. That's awesome. But the way that that happens effectively is not by attending the same location on Sunday morning at the same time. It's through doing life, being, being vulnerable to one another and being, uh, realizing that each of us, that there's a joint participation uh, and each person has something to give. You know, I'm convinced that there has been messages the Lord wanted to get to me that I missed because I didn't uh, acknowledge the vessel that it was coming through. And I don't say that braggingly. I say that going, man, because there have been times that I just didn't acknowledge because of maybe a personality twerk that they, tweak that they had, a quirk that they had that I didn't necessarily like. Maybe it's just me. Or uh, something they had done in the past. You know, and the... <laughs> can I say that? I, um, as I've been looking at this, you know, and going, man, can, and the Lord just, he speaks real plain to me. He said, Todd, if I can use a donkey to deliver a message, I can use anybody. It doesn't matter what their, that donkey, it wasn't the pedigree donkey. Right? It was a donkey. The prophet was on it and the donkey started. I'm still amazed at that story. That he would argue with a donkey. I mean, right? It wasn't commonplace for, don- for talking donkeys. It, there, it wasn't commonplace. I'm just amazed that he would argue with a donkey. I mean, that, you know, we can be that intent that we're right. That something totally, that just doesn't make sense, is said to us and we still won't receive it. That's a word for somebody right there. Maybe it's Todd. But if we discount the messenger, we won't get the message. But one way it's that we're more apt to receive the message is if, we, if those individuals have influence or have had opportunity to be in our lives. Not just come in, sit in a building, face the same direction, nod, either in agreement or in sleep, and go home. I get both. <laughs> That's why I'm glad y'all looking this way. I can see some of us like they're in agreement. <laughs> Praise be to they're not in agreement. 
They're just saying, Jesus, please deliver me from this present. (laughs) So, as I have on my mind community, it's amazing how the word of God has come alive to me. When I see that he wrote it to, it's a love letter to a family that he desired to do life together with. And it saddens me at how easy it is for us to not do that. Because, well, they said something that hurt my feelings. And see, I I know because everybody in this room, we checked at the door, has a perfect family. And there's never been a person in your family that ever hurt your feelings. Never. Because that doesn't happen in families. Right? And I would like to say, and so when your family hurts your feelings, you don't just write them off, but some people do. You know why? You know why? Can I tell you why? Because you've become the God of your world. When you are quick to write somebody else off, even if they were wrong because how they hurt you, it's because you've become the God of your world, and your world is all about you, not about what might be going on in them. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's not easy, but it's right. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 32. Just really looking to see how you responded to that. I'm really going to do it. (laughs) I wanted to see how you responded when I said it. Maybe not. Maybe not all of it. We, we will reference it. We'll just see how it goes. It's 133 according, 134 according to my iPad. And it's time. It's right because it's Apple, right? <laughs> Lighten up. Come on, man. I'm not here to, I'm not beating anybody, okay? I'm just loving on you, right? <laughs> Love hurts. I like somebody ought to write a song about that. <laughs> Love. Oh, I'm sorry. Flashback. I wasn't born saved. I was born again, though. <laughs> I'm convinced. I'm just some of his comic relief. Y'all hadn't smiled all week this much. I can tell by how you looked when you came in. <laughs> okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. There, and I'm reading this, uh, the first. 10 verses through the New Living Translation. It says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Man, do we believe that? Do we believe the word? It's that simple. Do we believe that? And Paul said this, writing to the church, I, I, therefore I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to to lead a life worthy of your calling. Put the brakes on first. So what does that mean? That means everybody in this room has a calling. Everyone in this room, not just the ones who sing, not just the ones who teach a group, not just the ones who preach, not just the one who teach our kids. Everyone in this room has a calling, if the word is true, right? Because he wasn't writing to a group of pastors. 
For you have been called by God. Well, what qualifies me to have a calling? You were called by God. Do we believe that? That the workplace that I'm in right now, the opportunities that I have each day, that it's a calling from God. Don't let me forget where I am. I'm ending chapter, I mean, verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. I want to share this. I was mowing this week. I shared this Friday night, but it bears repeating. I was mowing this week, and I was listening to Chris Valton. And uh, one of the things that he was talking about in there is about how the Lord really spoke to his heart about entitlement. And the Lord showed him how, and what entitlement means is that we have expectations on others because of who we think we are, what we deserve. You know, one of the big issues in Africa when American missionaries come in and they do a thing, one of the big problems that's left when they do that thing, and, and there's been papers written, there's been books written about short-term mission trip, and are they a blessing or are they a curse? Because people go in and they do things. They paint the buildings for them. They clean up their property and they do all this stuff. And so they have this entitlement. It can birth in the, the locals an entitlement mentality that says, well, you need to do this for me because I'm less fortunate. You know, there's a place in assisting somebody that you quit helping them and you start enabling them to stay in the condition they're in. Because now they expect you to come to their rescue because that's what you do. Because this is just who they are and they can't do anything any different. So what you do is you empower them to stay defeated. There's this, I think, spirit of entitlement. It happens and it can creep in on all of us. The Lord showed me. As I was listening to him, he showed me. Yeah, as I said earlier, should the pastor be respected? Should the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher be respected? Yes. But when they get to the place where it's expecting, they're expecting others to, to respond to them a certain way, then what they've allowed is this thing of entitlement. And Chris talked about, he said, I can remember when I used to get a call to go speak somewhere, and I would go, man, I can't believe they're asking me to speak. I'm just so humble. And he said, the fact that they would pay me a plane, they would buy my plane ticket, put me on a plane, fly me there, put me up, feed me, all that. He said, I was just so humbled that they would do that. He said, but what the Lord showed me, he said, I, would get to, I had gotten to the place where I would get on a plane and I would get the seat, I didn't get the seat that I wanted, and I would say, don't they know who I am? Don't they know how many miles I fly? I should have that seat. He said, I would go to a place to speak and they would, Pick me up from the airport, they'd be driving to the hotel. And as they're driving to the hotel, there was a nicer hotel. And they'd go, man, I don't know why they didn't put me there. That's a nicer hotel. This is okay, but why didn't they put me there? I'm not telling anything he didn't tell. I was just listening. And he said that we can get this mentality where you owe me something. That's what entitlement is. It means you owe me something. You know, that happens in the church. Well, so-and-so should treat me this way or that way because they owe it to me to do that. Instead of being thankful. And here's where I'm going with that. He said, you know what is always the answer to entitlement? is thankfulness. He said, when we're thankful, entitlement can't have control in our lives. So even when we're walking through something that we don't like at that particular time, we can say, God, I thank you that you're still God in the midst of this. 
that I know that you are love and that you love me. And while I do not like what's going on, I know that you love me and I am thankful that I have relationship with you. And no matter what it looks like now, you've promised you wouldn't leave me nor forsake me. So we're going to come out on the other side. Not might or maybe, we're coming out on the other side. So Father, for that, I say thank you. I say thank you. So if we're thankfulness, then it destroys entitlement which destroys this thing that I'm the God of my life. Are you with me? That everything revolves around me. Because in case you walked in thinking that, it doesn't. (laughs) In case you need a little help, I just want to help you. I'm here to help you. Here to love on you. Here to help you. He said, verse 2, this way, it leads into this. Always be humble. I said all that about entitlement. I said, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making, listen, oh, no, he didn't. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Not because they deserve it, but because of your love. That's a good word right there. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body. And one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in you all, in all, he's over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, we, when he ascended on the heights, to the heights, he led a, ca- a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. So, from this, we see that we have a calling that's from God and that we see we have a gift. Man, that's good news. I'm convinced there's people who came in and didn't think they had anything to offer the Lord, so that's why they just come to receive because they don't have anything to give. Notice... Verse 9, notice it says he ascended to clearly mean that Christ also descended to our lowly world. Verse 10, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, the the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we've talked about this before, not too long ago. But as we function as a body, each person doing their part, it's then that we manifest the fullness of Christ in the earth. Right? 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15. Here's where I want to get. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in, up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself or the building up of itself in love. See, community affords us the right to speak into each other's lives in love 
to encourage and to strengthen. So here in this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, as I said, as the Lord has just opened my eyes to community, one of the things that he showed me in here, we want to be quick to pick out the fivefold ministry. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. We want to pick those out and say, that's what it's about, so they can train up the people, so they can do the work. That's scriptural. That's what he said, that they're to train the people. But in the context of all of this, it starts by saying what? That we... <clears throat> It starts by saying this, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So that's the foundation that this statement here in, the, in these verses is made on, that where this body is going to grow up together is one that's walking together. It's that one that can speak the truth in love to one another. So they can grow up. So that Christ can be manifested in the earth. It's in the context of community. He told them, live together in love. Right? Isn't that what it says in the first few verses? I read it. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. You've you, you got to be with people to be with each other. I know it's deep. But you have to be with others to be with others. <laughs> That's my nugget for the day. My wife and I were talking about a situation in, in a family, and uh, a person said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this situation because I'm not happy. And I said, well, you know what's funny about that? If they're not happy in that situation, when they leave, guess who goes with them? They do. <laughs> so if they're not happy here, guess where they're not going to be happy? They're not going to be happy here. We try to blame it on the situation. It's not the situation, it's you. That's deep, isn't it? It's like wherever you go, that's where you are. That's deep. I'm like, really? That's deep? Man, he's confusing me. As I was studying this, I even went into the etymology, the roots where the words come from and stuff like that. I said, where does this word community come from? So uh, community, I, and I didn't break down, this is from the Latin, I didn't break down all that, but what it literally means is what the Greek says about it in its partnership, people coming together uh, and things. That one of the, I looked it up on this one website, and it was a whole website dedicated to community, and it says this, it was a little sentence. It says, so community can be seen as what we share together, what we change together, the commonplace of meaning, what we think together, what we love together, the meaning we gather together to fortify the commons. Because the base word of community is common. It means shared, like, right? And so what the Lord was telling me, he says, when we have that common unity, not common conformity, common unity, we can walk together in community. Are you with me? When we have this, and common doesn't mean not important. There can be something that's common that we go, well, it has no value. But that's not what it means, that word common in this context. It doesn't mean of no value. It means of this, the standard. Are you with me? Maybe still trying to figure it out. It's too hot in here, isn't it? That's what's wrong. It's hot in here. Okay, I just thought I'd try. I'm trying. 
I'm going to start preaching in shorts. That could be a distraction. <clears throat> he said, here's, here's uh, five characteristics of community. High levels of connectedness. Trusting relationships. Visibility and support for innovators. Man, that right there. At first, I was like, I'll just take that one out. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But true community is visibility and support for innovators. What does that mean? That means that when I trust people and I love them and I know they love me, even when they step out in something I'm not, that's new to me, it doesn't mean it's wrong, that's new to me, I'm willing to support them. Not because they have to step on me to get there, but because I'm going to be under them pushing them up. That's big. That's big. Some of you get that on the way home. Listen, shared purpose and identity. Where's our identity? It's not in the river. Our identity is in Christ. Ephesians 1 says, I'm accepted in the beloved. My identity is in him, not in this local gathering, but in him as the body. Him, the head, us, the body. And then the one, the last one that it had, uh, that, was, that really spoke to me was infrastructure, which means uh, intentional events, atten- intentional meeting, intentional gathering. If you're going to have community, you've got to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. It's intentional. Why? Because you're gathering with a high level of connectedness. That means it, it's, Paul, oh, should he say it? He might as well. It might cost you something. It might have to be a priority to you, where you might have to put something else down to do it. <gasps> no, he didn't. <clears throat> might as well. In Ephesians, I think, I think that's the picture that he's, he's sharing here. And in verse 15, that's why he says, speaking the truth in love, we can all grow up into him who is the head which is Christ. See, as we're in that place of connectedness where we trust one another and we love one another, someone can speak into my life and I I know they're not trying to destroy me. They're trying to help me. And what we can do, if we don't have relationship, if we don't have connectedness, we can discount it. And that goes back to how I started, when we discount the messenger so we don't get the message. Here's what the Lord spoke to my heart as I was preparing this, and I don't really, without reading verses 17 through 24, it's hard to lay a a good foundation on it. But when the Lord's, when I was doing this, He said, For you to really have these kind of relationships, the foundation for these, and it's not just two, but I think the vital, those that are vital for us to walk in this kind of relationship and community. The two that he highlighted to me, he said, keys to authentic community are character and integrity, which are the natural manifestation of the holiness of God that is in our born-again spirit. In first, uh, I mean, John, Ephesians 4, 24, it says, <clears throat> verse 23 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So holiness is not what we do, it's who we are. Because we're in holiness, and that's Jesus. That can sound offensive, but it's the truth. If you're not holy and righteous, you're not getting in. That's how he could pay for our sin, because he was righteous and holy. And it says we are born again, placed in him. 
So when he sees us, he sees us, right? That's what Ephesians 4, 24 says. You're born again in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new man which was created. Is that past, present, or future tense? Past. Was created. How was it created? According to God. So it was created, past tense, by whose parameters? God's. With a big G. God's. According to God in true righteousness and holiness. So keys to authentic community is not acting like the first verses. And that's what it, it says, verse 17 through down to 23. What he's talking about is how the Gentiles act. And he said this, This therefore I say and testify the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. So Paul is not comparing them to, to Gentiles. He's contrasting them. Do you know the difference? Comparing says, here's you, here's there. There's a lot of similarities. Contrast says, here's the unbeliever in, an, in a futile mind, an unregenerated mind. Here's how they act, and here you are. Don't be that. It's a contrast, not a, com- not a comparison. He's saying, this is dark, you are light. So if you see the tendencies of darkness, then there's something that you need to do, and that's be renewed, verse 23, in the spirit of your mind. Because as you're renewed in the spirit of your mind, you'll understand that everything that we have is what he's given. So when I feel the need to give forgiveness, even when it's not warranted, I can give it because it's not based on a wrong mind. It's based on the mind of Christ, which he's given to me, that he said, hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. That's true character and integrity, walking in community. Is saying, I don't always do what feels good to me. I always do what's right according to him. And that I will uphold, that I'll walk in that character. I'll walk in that integrity. And as a fruit of that, his life will be seen in me. Man, I, I, can't, I can't go through the rest of it. It's too late. Because um, I don't want to rush through it. I'd be here another hour. And you say, oh, keep going. See, no, there's no, somebody said, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, yep, too much. Just Shh, don't say amen right now. But in authentic community, it says I'm going to walk in character. I'm going to walk in integrity. That means that my yes is yes, my no is no. And if I tell you I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. If you tell me something, it doesn't mean I'm going to tell everybody else I talk to the rest of the day. It means what you said to me stays with me because I'm going to guard what you said in character and integrity. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect and I won't make mistakes. We need to know that going in, that, that we are born again, we are righteous, and we are holy by the blood of Jesus, but we still live in this world in, in our natural self, that, and we make selfish mistakes sometimes. Well, maybe I should say I do. Maybe you don't. But I do because I look at it from my perspective instead of from his. But what he's calling us to it's community where we go, you know what? I'm willing to step out when everybody else steps back. I'm willing to love and to risk because I can't do life contrary to how the Word of God says we're supposed to do it. And see, that's the bottom line. It's not because I'm on a community kick. It's because this is the model of the Scriptures. I mean, I'll close with this one. I'll even put my stuff down. That really doesn't mean anything either. But 
James. The Lord had me in, in James this week. And uh, just reading. And he showed me healing in community. Because he said, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. He didn't say throw all your junk out in front of everybody. What he's saying is, when you walk in authentic community, there's people you can trust and you can tell them, here's where I am. And they will speak the truth to you in love, Ephesians 4. And as they do, there's healing. That's good. That's good. And that's his desire for us. So we can't do this outside of community. It's impossible. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't start it uh, or birth it. It wasn't started like an organization. It was birthed from his side with his blood and water that came out. It's where we were birthed. He birthed us to walk in relationship, to walk in community. That's why in the beginning he looked at Adam and said, it's not good for Adam to be alone because he wasn't made to be alone. He was made to be in community. Amen. Amen. Lord, that's good. Help us understand that. Thank you.